I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is uh, author, Forbes columnist and certified executive coach, Bonnie Marcus. Her book is The Politics of Promotion, How High Achieving Women Can Get Ahead and Stay Ahead. Excellence and achievement aren't necessarily enough for women to get ahead in today's workplace, Offering the tools and guidance they need to successfully navigate the realities of their organizations, Bonnie Marcus emphasizes the need to understand office politics to get the promotions and recognition women deserve. With 20 years of sales and management experience, Bonnie has held executive positions in startup companies and Fortune 500 companies. Now her passion is to help other women learn to be sensitive to the culture of their organization, embrace the politics, and actively move their careers forward with a sound strategic plan. She's a certified executive coach, as I mentioned before, a founder of Women's Success Coaching, and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, Fortune Fast Company, and many more. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Nice to have you on the show today. Well, thanks, Catherine. Uh, one of the things that you've said, and this is what I'm going to open with, sort of getting into my first question, um, you say mm-hmm. uh, I've, you, that you've seen many talented, hardworking women passed over by less qualified candidates. Now, you worked your way up to the uh, C-suite, but you've seen other women not being able to do this. You say this happened because they didn't understand how to promote and position themselves for success, which you've been able to do. So let's start with that. Um, obviously, yeah, but is, um, yeah. I will say that one of those talented, hardworking women who was passed <laughs> over was me. And, and that's why I ended up writing the book, because I thought it was such a strong message that you can't just rely on your great performance. Um, I had been working for an organization for about eight years, uh, worked up to an AVP position. Um, the company reorganized. There was an opportunity to be a VP. And I thought I was a shoe in I was super qualified. There was no one else more qualified. But I had a new boss with the reorganization, and he intimidated me, and I just avoided him. And I had no idea the way the decision would be made um, to fill that position. And I just kept working and staying in the field and working with my direct reports. And they brought in someone from outside our territory to take the position. I was so blindsided. And I was devastated, to tell you the truth, uh, because I had worked for the company for so long. And it was really, Catherine, I just had my nose down doing my thing. Um, I didn't even understand what would be involved in filling that position. I just threw my hat in the ring and thought, oh, you know, they're going to choose me. You know, Bonnie, and, this is um, so typical. This is, as I'm listening to you, you know, this is so yeah. typical of women. Uh, you, you think if you do a, women, uh, just generalizing, but it is so true that if we just do a good job or we have the right credentials or we went to the right school, you know, and everything is in place, then we're going to be promoted or we're going to be hired or we're, we're going to get a raise. And that's yeah. just not the case. And um, that's it's why I think only it one so- part of the equation. So I don't want to downplay <laughs> that you need you to, to work hard and you, yeah. need, and you need to have a great track record because, but that's only one part of the equation. And, you know, in my corporate career, as well as now in my coaching practice, 
um, women come to me with the same thing. It's like, I don't know, like, why I'm not getting ahead. And I have just seen so many women who are just super talented, and they don't know how to create the visibility they need. They don't get involved at all in understanding the dynamics and what's involved in decisions about their career. And so I'm passionate about this because I just think we, we can't be invisible any longer. Yeah. So let's talk about the specific, the specifics. Okay. Uh, you know, we don't want to be invisible. That doesn't work. We know that. And, and what we've discussed in terms of credentials. Yes, we have to have that, but the whole, let's talk about that other, those other, the three quarters of the pie and why we're not there yet and why we're not in the C-suite and, and head of corporations. What are some of the issues? What are some of the main issues that <clears throat> you talk about in your book? Well, I have found that women, and by the way, I'd say men to a lot of um, degrees as well, don't know how to promote themselves effectively. You know, we grow up with these messages that we need to wait to be recognized and be humble and all this stuff. Um, Men are much better at putting themselves out there, regardless of whether they're doing a good job or not. But women hesitate to speak up for themselves, to advocate for themselves. And that really holds them back. And so in the book, there's a whole chapter on understanding your value proposition. In other words, how your work creates positive business outcomes and how that value proposition becomes the foundation of advocating for yourself. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean in layman's terms? What does that mean in terms of the organization valuing yourself? Uh, Talk to us in like specifics. Give us an example of that. So when you understand your value proposition, you know how you can help either your, your manager, your team, or the organization reach their objectives based on how you do your work. So I'll give you a really simple example. A woman that I worked for, uh, who worked um, with me, worked at a big pharma company, and she was a director of sales. And really what her value proposition was is she could find gold anywhere. I mean, she just had this knack for feeling it out and sensing it out that there was more revenue um, in particular accounts or new opportunities that she could sniff out that other people weren't even aware of. She has almost a sixth sense. So understanding that, she would travel around the world. She talked to different senior VPs of sales, and she'd say to them, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing versus your forecast versus the budget? Um, are, you, are there any accounts that you're having a challenge with? Because maybe I can help you find some of those hidden opportunities or hidden revenue. So it wasn't that, here, I'm great. You know, I'm this fabulous salesperson who's going to um, do wonders for you. It was my work is going to be able to help you. And I found it so, so powerful. And that because it resonates with people, because it's not all about you, it's really about how you can serve them, how you can serve the organization. 
I mean, I think that's obvious. That uh, It's not obvious, but that, that is probably number one. I mean, as you say, because I think very often people, the tendency is to talk about how great you are and what you've done and how you can do and it. And no one wants you, to do that, Catherine. It's yeah. yucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to relate specifically to that company and what you can and show them. Not just say it, but show them specifically how you can do it for them, what your specific value is to that company, as you're saying. One of the other things you talk about, too, is a strong network. And uh, what what does that mean, a strong network in this context? You need a strong network in order to get ahead, in order to get promoted. Well, you know, we hear a lot about networking and people go out and they gather like millions of business cards and they, you know, maybe they do something with them, maybe they don't. Um, or they have all these followers on social media. But what I talk about is not only a strong network, Catherine, but a strategic one. So it starts with what's your career goal? And then who do you know? And who do you need to know to help you reach that goal? So it's very intentional and it's very purposeful. And I treat it very seriously like a sales plan. And in my book, I I have these templates where you write out your contacts, who these people, who you know and who you need to know, and then you rank them. How much influence do they have over this career path of yours? And then how well do you know them? And when you look at this and you say, okay, wow, this guy, Bob, he's, you know, he's a decision maker. He's a key stakeholder. So he's got a high ranking for influence. But then when I look and I see, I don't know him very well. Then I can focus my efforts right there and begin to build visibility with them, make, um, you know, maybe reach out to somebody who can connect us for coffee or lunch or whatever and begin to build a relationship over time with key stakeholders. Do you think women are reluctant to do that or afraid to do that? Okay, you got You have to you have a friend who knows Bob. You don't know him, but he's an influencer. Like, you have to be able to, I mean, that you have to be, is aggressive the word? Or you just have to, I mean, mm. you have to, yeah. And well, the then one thing about have, networking that is important is it shouldn't all be about you. So your network is strong if you build mutually beneficial relationships. And in the beginning, Catherine, maybe you're just paying it forward. You know, there's some examples in the book of of former clients of mine who, you know, they would take calls all the time uh, from colleagues and help them out, whether it was, you know, open up a door for them, introduce them, give them some resources for a project, whatever it was, they would always help their colleagues. And then when they needed something in return, it was, you know, it was much easier because it's mutually beneficial. And I agree with you. It's really hard, especially if you haven't talked to people in like a long time, because some of my clients will say, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? I haven't talked to these people in four years. You know, how do I reach out to them and ask them if it's, you know, they know anyone in their company and I can work there. So it it takes um, uh, ongoing nurturing and building of these relationships over time in a very focused way. 
Yeah, focus is a word, but also what comes to mind as you're talking to me is deliberate. You really have to be deliberate yeah. because I think, is, and you sort of touched on this, you know, this networking thing. I, I know so many people, they go to this cocktail party or they go out for lunch or they do these things and, you know, handing out your cards, all that, but it doesn't really get you anywhere and it's a lot of, it enervates you, waste your time. You have to be so deliberate. I, I don't know, sometimes maybe women uh, use, maybe think of deliberate as cutthroat. <laughs> is it? I don't know, but. It um, isn't. Well, cut, let's, let's look at that. Cutthroat is when you're um, injuring somebody else. I think of cutthroat where you're doing something even at the expense of somebody else. And that's kind of where, you know, politics, office politics, political animals get a, kind of a bad rap, right? Yeah. So it's not cutthroat because especially if you've got a mutually beneficial relationship, you're offering to help someone else. And um, you're asking for something specific, perhaps, from them as well. And I, I think also knowing what you need and what you want, like, will you make a phone call to, to Sarah and see if, um, you know, she, she would be open to meeting me for coffee or something like that? So it's not like, would you just help me with my career? Yeah. That's not going to get you anywhere. Do you need to be specific about what the meeting is about? I, I sometimes get annoyed when people want to say, want to have coffee, and I kind of have an idea what they want, but then they don't actually say it. And I'm thinking, why can't we just talk on the phone? I don't really want to have coffee because I don't really, you know, it's to spend two or three hours getting there and coming back and having coffee, and you're not really telling me what it's about. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, should you yeah. be more... It, I mean, and it depends on how well you know that person. And if it's a first meeting, you may want to do it in person. But if, it, if you don't have something specific because you don't know the person that well yet, and you don't have something specific because you don't know what their challenges are, you don't know how you can help them until you meet with them, you might just say something like, you know, Sarah recommended that we get together. We have a lot in common. I'm really interested in knowing more about what you do, uh, the work that you do. I think it's fascinating, and I'd love to know more. So you're not leading in with, I'd like to talk to you about this opportunity. You're really showing an interest in the other person. One of the things that work. you also discuss in the book is, and you, and I'm, I'll read this, is how increased tension between genders affect the workplace since the resurgence of the Me Too movement. What do you, what does that mean? There's a hypersensitivity in the workplace today between genders that has been created since the Me Too. To some degree, Catherine, it was always there. Um, Similarity bias is very common, especially, you know, in male-dominated industries. Men are more comfortable working with other men. Um, you see this in a lot of industries, especially in law and law firms. Senior partners might want to bring on, you know, male associates to work on some of their projects rather than females. Um, but now with this whole Me Too, the interviews that I've done on this particular topic and what I've written about um, is that men feel uncomfortable. They don't know what to say and they don't know what not to say. Um, 
They, you know, they have to watch their body language. And gee, isn't it just a lot easier to work with a man? <laughs> you know, yeah. but how this jeopardizes women is men are still in leadership positions in in so many businesses where we want to advance our career and to not have their mentorship or sponsorship uh, really um, makes it much more challenging to work our way up the ladder to, to navigate uh, the politics. And so um, it really makes it much more challenging. And depending on how your organization is handling this, unconscious bias training, you know, um, some organizations just pay lip service to it. They kind of had a one-off day. Some organizations are working much harder to create safe environments where both genders can share um, some of their challenges around the issue. And, uh, you know, I think those are certainly the best environments for this, for this to happen because it doesn't then leave it on that individual to say a woman feels um, that a man did something inappropriate and then it would be her responsibility to, to speak with him and afterwards and say, you know, when you said that, I didn't really, you know, that the way that made that me feel, it's much more challenging to do it one-on-one. Yeah, it, it would seem to me, I mean, that, that would be something that uh, most, but I don't know, but many or most companies would have to have some kind of, today anyway, policies in, in, in HR and human resources, like, you know, be very clear. And even then, as you say, the, all of the, the gender differences kind of get confounded. That's a really difficult situation to be in today, both for it the is. men and the women, both. It, uh, yeah. You know, can you flirt with somebody? But what's no. really challenging, what's really challenging, yes, organizations have all these policies, they do, but microaggressions are sometimes very subtle and it's hard to say, well, well, did that go against the policy? I mean, it made me feel uncomfortable, but the, the man was probably not aware. And, and that's probably the case in 99% of the cases. They were not aware that they were saying something that was inappropriate. What would be a microaggression? So, Give us an example. Oh, you look really pretty in red, or you look really pretty in that dress today, or um, a microaggression might even be uh, somebody rolling their eyes, you know, when you state something in a meeting. I mean, they're all different types of uh, microaggressions. I think the first one is a good example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Because, I mean, you have to really be afraid, a a man, let's say man to woman, I never actually had thought about that. You have to be careful. You can't say, I like your uh, hairdo or I like your pocketbook or whatever it is where another, obviously, female employee who's your equal can say that or boss, perhaps, I guess. Yeah, I had, um, I recently interviewed a scientist who was giving a presentation with a male colleague and he said to her, um, I think you should wear high heels you know, because, it, you know, you would, you would, I forget what he said about how she would look, but it was a suggestion that she wear high heels for the presentation. It really was a microaggression. 
Well, what if he said you should wear my high heels? I'm just sort of playing the devil's advocate because he wanted to help her because when people who look taller, whether it's male, taller men, you know, what do they say? Men who are presidents of the United States, most of them have been very tall, that we look at tall people, we give them more credit perhaps than, you know, than we do shorter people, that it's just, I mean, that in that context, um, it'll that height will help to boost whatever you have to say. Well, I think in that case, certainly, because I happen to be short. And when I'm giving a presentation speaking, I'm always wearing high heels. But um, I think if you put it in the context, like, let's talk about the way we're going to dress. Let's talk about our our attire for this. I think it's important. So I'm going to wear, I'm definitely going to wear a sports jacket. You know, I think it might be good if you wear heels. You know, if it's, it depends on the way it's, it's addressed. So it has to be in context. And make sure it is, if yeah. that's what you're, yeah, yeah if, if yeah. that's what you're saying, right? Um, yeah. We've talked about why women don't self-promote and why that hurts them. And that's one of the to- topics in the book. So have we really covered how, being politically savvy? I mean, that word has come up during this interview. You've got to be politically savvy in, in the workplace. And, and that seems to be kind of the overall umbrella. And we have to learn how to yeah. be po- politically savvy. Yeah. Um, so political savvy yeah. means, it doesn't mean being a political animal. It means paying attention to what's going on around you. And in the book, I give very specific things that you should look for. For instance, what are the rules? Well, that's pretty, the policies, as you said before. But most importantly, Catherine, what are the unwritten rules? And which of those unwritten rules are sacred? So say the policy is you work nine to five. I mean, very few organizations that follow that. But just say as an example, it's nine to five. And it's your first day of work and you show up at nine o'clock and you see everybody's been there since seven. And then they stay till seven at night. And that's because the unwritten rule is you come in two hours before the boss shows up. And you stay two hours after he or she leaves. And is that sacred? Will you be fired if you don't, you know, comply? No. But if you really want to get ahead, are those some of the things you need to pay attention to? So what are the unwritten rules? Um, What does it take to get ahead? And is that different for a woman? And look for women who have made it to the top. And what are the relationships they have? And what kind of clients and projects and things are they working on that gives them visibility? Um, So it's really looking under the covers. Who has power and who has influence? Because it's not always dictated by the organizational chart. There's people at the top in the C-suite who may not have as much influence as some other people. So aligning yourself with people who can, as we said before, in your network, help you move your career forward. Uh, they have influence or they have or they have power. And then what is the culture of the organization, the personality of it? Um, is there gender bias, similarity bias? Um, how do you work around that? Who could support you and, and who maybe will not support you? Um, just the general feel of the organization and what it takes to get ahead. And that can be, by the way, that can be different by department. 
So I think, you know, to answer your question in, in a very general way, it's paying attention. What are the unwritten rules? Which ones are sacred? Which ones aren't? What does it take to get ahead? Who has power and influence? Uh, I, I, I love that because the unwritten rules. And so from day one, when you walk into that office at nine o'clock, <laughs> I mean, and if every, as you say, and if everybody's been there since seven, you know, you start from there, whatever it is. So, I mean, because women tend to look at the rule book. I mean, you know, what are the rules, yes. the, the, you know, the obvious rules, right? I, I'm slightly exaggerating, but you really have to, to, to look at those unwritten rules. Um, that's really good advice. And we you have, have a benefit. Yeah. You have a benefit, let me just say this, as somebody new in an organization, because you can be the observer for a while. You see a lot of things that other people who've been there for a while probably miss. Do you have to be careful? We only have three minutes left. I don't know if this is a long if there's a long answer to this question, but you have to be really careful who you align yourself with in the beginning. I mean, when you get people who want to perhaps befriend you and maybe those aren't the right people or the right person. So you have to, yeah. Yeah. Be deliberate. couple minutes left. Where can we go to get, cause you, uh, I mean, you do a lot of things. You've written this book, obviously the politics of promotion, how high achieving women get ahead and stay ahead. And we're talking to Bonnie Marcus, but you also, uh, you're an executive coach. So give us some websites to go to for more information about you, about the book, about what you do. Okay, well, um, actually, I have a new website. So it's bonniemarcusleadership.com. Okay. Uh, you can also find me um, on forbes.com. I have a column on Forbes. Uh, and I'm all over social media. My, my Twitter handle is self-promote. And on LinkedIn, I'm Bonnie Marcus. There you go. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It, it, great talking to you. Lots of good information. Thanks. Thank you. I really love the conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 